Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. And I want to go ahead and dive right in to the text. Tonight, we're going to talk about perspective. We're talking about perspective, a new perspective. And, and I don't know... Uh, how you think about that word. Sometimes that word can feel like a negative thing. Sometimes it can be a positive thing. I want you to look at the word perspective in a positive light. Because sometimes when, when you have some things going on in your life that are a little bit negative or they're chaotic, sometimes you just need to look at it through a fresh lens, through a fresh perspective. And so I want to talk to you tonight, not from a place of figuring this out by any stretch of the imagination. This is something that the Lord grows me in every single day. And so I want to talk to you tonight about King David. How many of y'all love the story of King David in the Bible? What I'm going to try and do is give you like a 30-second recap of 70 years of life. All right? Are y'all ready for that? Everybody take a deep breath. All right, here we go. So here's what had, so Saul, I mean Samuel, anoints David to be king. We've heard that. And then Samuel, I'm sorry, then David gets to play the harp for King Saul. And then they, we all know the story of David and Goliath. He goes out there, slings a rock, hits him in the head, knocks him down. The giant's dead. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Then he becomes the commander of Saul's army. And then Saul becomes jealous of him. He sees all the success that he's having, and Saul becomes jealous. And, and this guy that he appointed to run his army now is the guy that he wants to kill. And so David's trying to fight all these battles and trying to avoid getting killed by Saul. This is a crazy time in David's life. And it wasn't like this was for uh, a few days or a week or a month, but this was for years. This is years of his life that he spent uh, uh, running away from Saul to avoid being killed. And then finally, David becomes king. And one of the first things he does is he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And then there's, there's just years of war. David's, David's reign as king, there was a lot of wars, a lot of battle and taking territory uh, through, through wars. And then now it gets real crazy. Everybody say real crazy. And so now, you, you, we all know the story of when, uh, when David ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. And then he, uh, he sets up uh, for her husband, Uriah, to, to be killed. And then they end up losing a child. And then Absalom, this one right here blows my mind every time I read this one. Absalom is David's son. He kills Amnon, who is also David's son. And he killed him because he raped Tamar, which is David's daughter. How many of y'all know that's some drama? That is some drama happening around King David's household. And then uh, towards the end of his life, Absalom uh, rebels against David in an attempt to try and take over the throne. And then Absalom eventually dies. So he loses another child uh, in this. And I just think when I, when I think about all this, this just sounds like the craziest, most dramatic soap opera ever. It has all of the elements. It has all of the, it's like, is this a talk show? Is this, is this even real life? But this really happened. This was his life. And I'm trying to, I mean, if you sum it up a little bit and listen to all the things that happened and picture this as a daytime soap opera, that's really what it is. You know, there was, there was failure, there was success, there was life, there was death, there was marriage, there was adultery, there was murder, there was jealousy, there was deceit, there was love. There was so many things all wrapped up in his life. And I can't even imagine 
trying to walk through that life and be able to somehow keep a little bit of sanity. I can barely keep a little bit of sanity in my weekly schedule, yet this is what David walked through. And to me, it's just crazy. How many of y'all agree that that is a pretty difficult, drama-filled life? I remember Pastor Mike back in youth group, he used to say, save the drama for your mama. He'd tell us that all the time as students. You know, he was rhyming back then too. That wasn't something that just developed. That was way back 20 years ago. He'd been rhyming for years. And so one of the things that David did that, that I, I really love about it is, is he took the Psalms, the, the book of Psalms, and, and he kind of gave us an insight into his heart, and into his emotions, and in his, into his thoughts. And, and he would, these things he was going through, he would write about them. It's basically, most of the book of Psalms is just David's journal. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want any of y'all reading my journal. <laughs> I don't want y'all reading some of the things that I'm writing down in there. But, but I'm so thankful that God really opened us up to be able to look into to his mind, look into his thoughts and his emotions. And he would record all this stuff in there, whether he was going through something good or he was going through something bad, he wrote it down in these songs for us to learn from. And I think about when, when he was going through all the, the drama with the Bathsheba situation, he wrote out Psalms 51. And in Psalms 32, he talked about that situation in those Psalms. Whenever they were celebrating the returning of the Ark of the Covenant, that was written about in Psalms uh, 68. And I can go on and on and on and on about that. But I want to talk to you tonight about one Psalm in particular. And, and this was a Psalm that was written towards the end of David's life. And some, some people believe, some scholars believe it was written during the time that he was running from his son Absalom in the time when Absalom was rebelling against them. But most of them agree that it was towards the end of his life. And uh, I, I, I look at this and I'm blown away because we already looked at his life. We already know all the drama that David had went through. And then when you get into this Psalm, it amazes me how he could write these things. And, you know, this had to be written by somebody that was mature, somebody who had been through some things. And you, you can't get to this place in God without of walking a few trials. Can I get a good amen? Anybody in here been through a few trials or trouble in their life? I thought I was in the right place tonight. And so here's some of the things I want you to think about before I read this Psalm. Is that David's life looks nothing like what he's writing right now. His life resembles nothing on the outside that he's writing down in this psalm. The, the, the external conditions of, of everything that's happening, the external circumstances is, is what's happening in his life. But what he writes about is the internal condition of his heart. And, and you know, he, he decides to look at this situation through the, the, the lens of God versus the lens of this world. He takes a, a, a kingdom perspective to what's going on versus a worldly perspective. You know, David, when, when his life was squeezed, when he's in this tough moment, when he's walked through all this stuff, you know, I mean, we, we've been squeezed before in our life, and I think about the things that come out of me sometimes when I'm squeezed, when things get a little bit tough, when there's some pressure in my life, and this psalm is what came out of David's heart whenever he was walking through all of this drama and then specifically towards the end of his life and, and dealing with the rebellion of, of Absalom. And this is Psalms 23. And I want you to take a little bit different look at this tonight, you know, because it is a very familiar passage. So I'd encourage you that as, as we unpack this, that, that you maybe take a fresh perspective, that you open up your mind, you open up your heart to say, God, speak to me something new out of this, because I've heard this psalm before, and I, and I believe the Lord has something he wants to show you on David's perspective of life, because you either have been through something, 
you're going through something or you're going to go through something. Amen? There's just things that happen in life. You know, why did, why did God tell us not to worry? Because he knew we were going to worry. Why did he say to cast our cares on him? Because he knew we were going to have cares in this life that we had to be able to cast onto him. He knew these things. And so that's why he had put them in the word to give us encouragement, not to, for us to be discouraged when we worry, but to know that we serve a loving God who understands when we worry. And he uses that verse not to discourage us, but to encourage us to lean in on him. And that's what David did. David began to speak the, the truths that were in his heart over his situation. It would have been real easy for him to look at his situation and to complain and to worry. But this is what he decided to say. And I'm going to start writing verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Man, I love that verse right there. It says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Is anybody getting encouraged yet? Because I'm about to jump out of my skin right now as I read this. Verse 6, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I, I cannot put myself in David's shoes and be able to write that. How in the world can he say that? His son that he raised is rebelling against him. And maybe he's already been through that and he's walked through that. But we can all agree that David had one crazy, drama-filled life. And so regardless of, of if it was during the time of Absalom or if it was just at the end of his life, it's amazing to me that he can write these words about lying down in green pastures, about restoration, about, you know, I think about verse 6, was, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. What followed him in, in, in life? Saul was trying to chase him down and kill him. His son was trying to find him and kill him. He was chased down by adultery. He was chased down by murder. He was chased down by jealousy and deceit. But he took, in this psalm, he says, mercy and goodness follow me. He could have talked about all the things in his life that were actually following him. And let's bring that here. We could talk about our, our marriage problems. We could talk about our trouble at work. We could talk about our financial situation. We could talk about our sickness. And we could claim those things over our life. Or we could choose to stand on what the Word of God says and say, no matter what is around me, goodness and mercy are following me. The New Living Translation says they're pursuing me. I love the idea of it pursuing me, that, that, that God and his mercy and his goodness, they're not just following me, but they are pursuing me. They are coming after me. I don't have to try and find them because they're coming after me. Because sometimes when you're walking through some things in your life, you're walking through a situation, you, you have a hard time in your mind saying, I'm trying to find God in this. Can I tell you where God is? He's pursuing you. He is pursuing you. I don't care what your situation looks like. I'm not discounting your situation. I'm just choosing to speak the word of God to your situation. 
And so I, I want to talk to you about a couple things, like three things, if we have time to get to them. We're going to talk about three things, three perspectives that I believe God wants us to grasp tonight, regardless of what your situation looks like. Because you have either used this, we'll begin using it tonight, or we'll use it in the future. Because you're going to have a storm. You're going to have trouble. I hate to break it to you. If somebody told you that when you got saved, everything in your life was just going to be perfect and, and rainbows and roses every single day, I'm sorry. That's not actually how it works. The Bible talks about persecution. The Bible talks about these things that we're going to walk through. So here's, here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, I want to, we're going to look at the things that David remembered. The things that David remembered in this situation, what he looked back on. And I love this song we were singing earlier about I will not forget. Okay, these are, David did not forget the goodness of God. He did not forget the faithfulness of God. And, and the first thing I want to talk about is David remembered God's peace. If we look here at verse 2, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. And I think about this. I thought about this, uh, this story back when I was playing baseball at Woodlawn High School. How many people do I have in here tonight that maybe went to the old Woodlawn High School? Do I have a few? Come on. We, they are in the house. Man, we got the Panthers in the house tonight. And so all of you who raised your hand know there's a big difference in the old Woodlawn and the new Woodlawn. The old Woodlawn, if it rained, they had two buildings that were flooded. You were sitting in class and you had to pay attention because there might be a ceiling tile that fell on your head. There were buildings that were condemned. This place was messed up. But I was so excited. My sophomore year, we got a new baseball coach. And in my senior year of baseball, he had went and he redid the grass in the outfield of the baseball field. And we had a really nice baseball field. And so one day, it was a Saturday morning, we showed up and we're playing against Capitol High School. And we had canceled the JV game. So on Saturday mornings, the JV team would play first and the varsity team would play second. And we had canceled the, the JV game. And with Capitals team, their JV and varsity team were just the same. And apparently they did not get the memo that the JV game was canceled. And so when we roll up to play this varsity game, they're already there. And here's what's crazy is they are all laying in the outfield. They are laid out everywhere. There's 25-man roster laid out all over the outfield. Our outfield grass, it was new. It was green. It was plush. It was a beautiful field. And so I remember going up to this guy. His name was Red. And is there, is there a Red here tonight? Maybe he's here because I'm going to talk about him a little bit. Okay, I don't see Red. So I played against Red for four years while he was at Capitol High School, and he was, he was one of their better players. And I always would go talk to the other team, and I kind of made friends with this guy. And I went and found him, and I said, Red, what are y'all doing? Like, y'all didn't want to stretch or hit in the cages or anything like that? He said, no, man, we just wanted to lay down on this grass. We've never seen grass like this before. You know, and if you look at that area, there's a lot of concrete around the Capitol High School area. So they were just so happy to come out there, and they just laid in the grass. Red said, we don't even have to play the game today. We can just I'll lay out here, and we can have a little picnic or something. I said, no, Red, we're going to play because I got some stats to pad against you guys today. And so I say that because the grass was new. And in this scripture, that word green, it talks about, it actually means new. When you look up the translation of that, the definition of that Hebrew word, it means new. And I thought about how God will take you from a place, take you from a situation, take you from the, the, this traumatic uh, circumstance in your life. And, and, and he can say, I, I know this is what's happening over here on the external. But it, if you come over here on the inside, I can let you lay down 
in a new place. I can let you lay down in a new pasture. I can let you lay down on this fresh grass where over here, I know it looks crazy, but over here in your soul, you can lay down on this place. And there can be a, a peaceful stream that goes right by that. I thought about sound machines. Y'all use sound machines, but I love the, the, the river, the running water on a sound machine. So I can immediately, without very much effort at all, I can close my eyes right now and I could go to that place. Regardless of what's going on around me, I could stop and I could go to this new place. I can go to this peaceful stream and be able to just camp out right there. And if I don't do that in my life, if I don't disconnect myself from my circumstances sometime and spend some time over here into this green pasture, into this new pasture, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna be so overwhelmed. I'm gonna be so beat down by what the world's doing over here instead of coming and refreshing over here into this new pasture. You know, and I, maybe you came in here tonight and your pasture, the, your, your, the things that you're walking through, it's chaotic. It looks nothing like new grass. It looks nothing like plush grass. I wanna encourage you tonight that I fully believe, now you hear me when I say this, I fully believe that in one second, God can change this situation externally and he can completely remove cancer or he can completely remove financial bondage. He can completely remove addiction. I believe he can do that in one moment. Do y'all believe that tonight? But he also, I've found, sometimes when you're in this, he's more concerned with changing what's happening in here than he is about what's going on right here. Because God can take this situation and he can do something inside of here that you can use the rest of your life. And the next time that situation comes, you don't even camp out over here. You don't spend a day over there. You immediately, okay, this is the situation. I understand what that says, but I'm coming right here. My soul is coming right here. I'm coming to lay down right here because the power of God can do that in my life. Amen. I wrote this down and I want, and I made, I want you to make a little note of this on your, it says, David's life didn't resemble peace, but his soul did in that moment. His soul resembled peace. And so I, I, the, the second thing I want to talk about tonight, we talk about David remembering God's peace. And I think that that's such a key thing, peace, having peace in our life. I, I want us to all live a, a peaceful life. I don't want us to live a, a stressful life, a chaotic life. I mean, sometimes we're going to have to make decisions to be able to choose peace and choose to look that direction. The second thing that David remembered is David remembered God's purpose. He remembered God's purpose. If you look at verse three, it says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Right now, I'm in the middle of a, a, a big house remodel project. And if anybody has remodeled a house before, can y'all please just intercess for me, man? Can y'all pray for me? Man, we are ready to get in that house. It has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun, but I'm ready to get in that house. But we've taken this house and we have redesigned the whole thing. Right to every single room in this house, we have moved or removed a wall in every room but one of this house. It has been a major renovation. There has been no piece of wood. There's been no nail, no sheetrock unturned. There's been no brick unturned. We have completely 
gutted and changed this entire house. And we have rebuilt it to, uh, to be something like we, were, we wanted to have. We, we wanted to put a pantry here. So we had wiped everything out. So we just built a pantry right there. And we took it and we gutted all of that and rebuilt it how we wanted to do. I think about all the landscape that came. I cut out, I've got a chainsaw, and I just got chainsaw happy, and I just started cutting out all kind of stuff in the landscape, and I got all full of poison ivy, and it has been a, a one heck of a project. And if I'm honest, I'm a little tired. I'm a little tired. But we have touched every square inch of this house. And when I read verse three, and he says that he restores my soul, and I looked up that word soul and the definition of that word soul. I want you to catch this tonight. It means soul, self, life, appetite, mind, living being, desires, emotions, and passions. Because you see, when God restores, when God restores, he didn't just go renovate one room. He didn't just go, okay, hey, look, we're going to take care of the kitchen and the master bath. He restored everything. He restored your whole life. He didn't just come in and do one little work in you. Y'all are not nearly as excited about how God has restored you as I am about how God has restored you. I don't know where you found, I don't know where you were that moment that you encountered God. But I know that in my life, I was not in a great place. I was in a very low place. And I feel like God had to reach down really, really far to come and grab me from where I was. But when he grabbed a hold of me, when he grabbed a hold of my heart, he didn't just come in and remodel one thing and do a little bandage work over here. He restored everything, top to bottom, head to toe, made new in Christ. The old has passed away, been made new in Christ. And that's what he's done in you. He hasn't left anything unturned in you. He has not left a single thing unturned in you. And in fact, when he did it, he rebuilt you exactly how he wanted. He built it. He, he, he built this, this place. He built this wall right here because there was something, there was a piece of furniture or there was something that was meant for that spot. And in your old life, in your old house, you couldn't fit that there. But he said, no, look, I'm going to knock all of this down and I'm going to build this back to perfection so I can put what was intended to be in your life in the first place exactly where it's supposed to be. Can I get a good amen tonight? When God restores, he restores everything. Why does he restore us? Why are we restored? Because I can just imagine David right now. David is down and out. David's got craziness around him. I imagine that as a father, he's feeling pretty defeated. He's probably looking back and going, man, I, I, gave, this, I gave this child everything. I gave him the new bike. I gave him food every day. I had a roof over his head. I bought him, uh, some, I bought him this stuff. I loved him. I gave him any, everything he needed. And here he is going, probably stepping back and going, what did I do wrong? What have I done to create this mess? Can I encourage you tonight? You may feel like you've made some decisions in your life that have caused some, some things, caused some issues. And hey, we're really good at messing it up, aren't we? So sometimes we do. 
Sometimes we create our own mess. Sometimes we're doing everything right. And the enemy comes in and, and stirs some things up. It's not your fault. God's restored you. God has a plan for you. God has purpose for you. Just because there's a situation going on, even if it was something that you created, it's not going to a place beyond where God can restore it. It is a, God can restore no matter where it is. But he restores it for his name's sake, for his glory, for his fame. You were put back together. You were made new in him, not for our own selfish ambition, not for our own life, but for his name's sake. Everybody I see right over here, you have been restored and called for purposes of the kingdom, not for purposes of this world, but to see people come to Christ, to see people that maybe your old friends that you used to run with, that look, some of the people, if they're watching online, they knew me in high school, they're, hope, they're looking at me going, well, God can save that guy, he can save me, because I, I know what he used to do, I wasn't as bad as that guy, so there's probably a chance for me too, and we all have that person in our life, and it's not about them looking at us and saying, well, Wow, look how great you are now. No, it's look how great Jesus is. He restored you for his purposes. He restored you for his kingdom. And so when, we, when David looks back, it had been real easy for him to, to start questioning his purpose, for questioning why he was there. And probably going, God, why did you even make me king? Look at all the stuff that I walked through. Why did you even put me right here? He could, he, I would imagine on the outside, it would have been real easy to say that. But, but David chooses to say, he restores my soul and leads me in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, that's why you made me king. That's why you positioned me here. That's why I defeated Goliath. That's why I walked through all this situation. That's why I walked through all that. So I can be positioned to be able to write this. And thousands of years later, on a Wednesday night, February 1st in South Baton Rouge, we can look at the words of David and be encouraged and remember our purpose and remember our plan for our life. This doesn't define our purpose. This doesn't define our purpose. The word of God defines our purpose. I don't care what you're going through tonight. I care as a person. I understand. And I have compassion for you. But you're not defined by this. You're defined by what the Word of God says. You're defined by, you, by, by, by being restored. You're defined by saying uh, uh, mercy and goodness follow you. You're defined by saying he's prepared a table before you in the presence of, his, of, of your enemies. Those are the things you're defined by, not by the things that the world has got pulling you down over here. And this is really easy to preach. It's really hard to live. It's really hard to live, and I get that. I get that so much, but the only way we can do it is with the presence of Jesus. That is the only thing we have. That's the only way. How can we do this? The presence of Jesus. That's it. And I'm going to go, go into our third point. The bank can go ahead and, and, and come up as we go into this third point. But that's it. That's the only way that, you have any, that I have any chance. Is I, I have to look at a situation and go, you know what? I don't really like where I am right now. I don't like what's happening right here. But instead of being in a spot of concern with this, instead of being in a place of I'm so wrapped up and pulled down 
because my perspective, my eyes are looking at this, I want to lift up my head. You know, David talks about in Psalm chapter 3 that, that, that he is the lifter of our heads. Why does he lift up our heads? Because it says in Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Jesus. See, he doesn't want us to look down at this. He wants, us to, he wants to lift our head. Why does it say he lifts our head? Because some days you don't have the strength to even look up from here. And you need God to even be the lifter of your head because we know we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. We know that. We've been in church. We get that. We understand that. But we're in a place where I can't do that. And so God, in his mercy and his goodness that was pursuing us, comes and he says, I can lift your head so you can look at Jesus. If you look at verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, God, David remembered God's protection. So you may be sitting in this storm. You may be sitting in this situation that around your life. That has not changed the fact. You, you may be in that valley right now. But the word of God says that he is with you. And he wants to protect you. His rod and his staff, they're there to comfort you. And that's hard sometimes to wrap our head around. Because I've been in some situations and been in some things in my life after I accepted Christ that I looked at, I'm like, this has no hope. This has no, I have no idea how this is going to work out. I'm sitting in this valley and I'm walking through it and it feels horrible. And most of the time I've learned that God was trying so hard to change things on the inside of me when I'm walking in that. But I sometimes struggle to remember what it says in verse 4 is that, that says he is with you it says for you are with me and David in the midst of it I can just see him picturing him right now look, running for his life looking back at his life and all the craziness and instead of remembering all of the crazy things that happened in his life he chose to say you are with me it would have been real easy to look at a situation and say, you've abandoned me. You forgot about me. How have you let me walk through this? He could have very easily said that. But David chose to say, you are with me. I want to tell you tonight that the power and presence of God being with you is the only thing you need. I felt so strong during worship as we're talking about singing about the cross. If there's some people tonight, there, there, there's a few people here tonight that you have, you cannot wrap your brain around God with you. You're saying, you don't know, you're going, you're in worship and you're going, how can I even engage in this? How can God love me? How can God, how can this God that you're talking about be so merciful and be so good? Because you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. My house that I'm, that it's not even, you, you just, it can't even be restored. You know what? Maybe it can't be restored. Maybe he's got to knock the whole thing down. But I want to tell you there's hope. Why? Because of Jesus. Why? Because of the cross. Why? Because of the blood. That's why. That's why no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, in this moment, tonight, you can accept Jesus. And I can't tell you that this is going to change. But what I can tell you is that this will change. Now, we're going to pray for this to change because I don't believe that anything here 
has more power than the power of Jesus. But I wanna pray also that this will change. That you'll stop looking at yourself and saying, I'm not worthy. That you'll stop looking at yourself in shame. That you'll stop looking at yourself in, in, in love. And I'm speaking so much to myself. It's real easy for me to look and say, God, I've messed this up so bad. But I remember mercy and goodness are pursuing me. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.